Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Today's reading is from Reverend Sean Neil Barron, who wrote it as part of the closing worship service at the Unitarian Universalist Association's General Assembly in late June. Reverend Sean serves as the Associate Minister of Foothills Unitarian Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Reverend Sean was classmates with our community minister, Reverend Erica, at the Harvard Divinity School, and they graduated in 2015. While a student, Reverend Sean attended Sunday services here at Arlington Street Church as a member of this congregation, where he met Charles Howes, one of our young adult lay leaders at the time. <clears throat> Before moving to Colorado, Sean also worked at Faithify, the UU crowdfunding site, as a project manager, and served as a ministerial intern with the New England region of the UUA. Since moving to Colorado, Sean has been ordained, married Charles, and together they are now foster parents. He has given me permission to share this with you today. My friends used to ask me, why do you go to church? After I became a minister, well, they stopped asking. But I never did. Why do I go to church? Church, the place that breaks my heart more often than any other. The beauty of its potential obscured by the labor of reality, that churches are human, not utopian endeavors. Every church I've been, ever been a part of has never been exactly who they proclaimed to be, nor exactly who I wanted or needed them to be. Why church? I have witnessed professionals violating the trust granted to them, cloaking their deceit in the garb of spiritual language. Congregational bullies allowed to rampage in the name of nice, or freedom of belief, causing beloved people to step away, the pain too great to continue. I've witnessed trauma like a puppeteer pulling the strings, compelling us to play out old stories again and again and again. Why church? Why do I keep going? Why do we keep going? The longer you stay in, the more grief you accumulate. The grief of the, the, grief of the people who left, left the faith, left your church to attend another, or simply left life. And even as the joy of new people arriving rises, you look around and realize you don't recognize anyone anymore. And you wonder if that means it's time for you to leave too. Why church? For it will be true that the church you join will not be the same church you leave. Changed by your presence, changed by the presence of every other, that's the beauty and the magic and the heartache. There is much that changes in the life of a church. The musical stylings of generations come and go. The language and words of reverence shift. We decenter what was once assumed to be our essence, to reveal the true liberatory power within. We constantly evolve and revolve around our core, the determination of love to break forth. That question, why church? There is no one answer. No one could endure a lifetime. 
Not one answer the same for each of us. Our answers like stars forming new constellations, guiding us in every season of life. Point us toward a simple impulse. Why church? Well, because church. I call it the casserole reflex, that when the church hears the news of the diagnosis of the accident or looming crisis of death, divorce, or disaster, somehow, even before they realize it, the casserole dish is in the oven, an instinct to care just baked in. The same reflex that taught me that when certain events happen, you don't call, you don't text, you go. You show up. Awkwardly, sure. Uncomfortable, of course. But you show up. Why? Because church. It's the feeling we get gathered for imperfect worship, a collection of friends and strangers, united by an almost indescribable promise that answers a question coded deep within us. The need to belong, to be reminded of that belongingness. The full embrace that conveys the truth that all the parts of you, the questioning parts, the doubting parts, the cynical parts, the hurt parts, are not only welcome, but absolutely necessary. That if universal salvation is true for all of us, it is true for all parts of us too. Why? Because church. It's a temporal embrace, an embrace with one arm ancestral and the other futuristic, converging together. A complex embrace, holding as much pain as potential. A belonging that grounds and orients us into time itself. A belonging that says, you were part of this unfolding story the end of which has not been written. And here, we will face it, not alone, or unequipped, unprepared, unprotected. For here we have stories and practices, rituals and music, ancestors and yes, baggage. You don't need to strike out on your own. You don't need to make it all up by yourself. And look around, you don't have to do it alone either. You have a people. Why? Because church. In a society that tells me to be self-made, I need church that tells me I exist because we are. For if the choice were independence or interdependence, there's no question I would choose the gnarly path if we can go together. And it is the church more than any place that never lets me forget this. Why? Because it's church. It's the beauty of seeing the child dedicated in the arms of their family. It's the 85-year-olds who, when the pandemic hit, became Zoom experts overnight and then taught others. Casting off the confines of the physical sanctuary for a digital cathedral. Knowing that church was never a place, but a people. Why? Because church. And when my heartbreak becomes too much, caught in the cavernous gap between promise and reality, I testified that every time I mustered the courage to keep showing up, I surprised myself that I could find love over and over again in these broken people and hopeless places. Where my brokenness doesn't disqualify me when I'm willing to put in the work. And even as certain people grade on me, like sandpaper, I feel them wear down my rough spots granting me much-needed lessons in patience, compassion, 
forgiveness, and humility. Give me the chance to practice being human. The first church that I ever attended had a Wednesday night Bible study class for grade school children. It was a non-denominational Christian church, and I started attending when I was about eight years old in El Paso, Texas. The lessons usually involved a Bible verse or two and ways to apply it to our eight-year-old third grade lives. It was fun and something that provided a nice compliment to Cub Scouts, which I also joined at about that age. The church pulled from a few grade schools in the area, so I was able to make some new friends who were outside my own school, church friends. I'm going to pause here a bit because my husband Rich tells me that whenever I tell stories about El Paso to folks here in Boston, that I should provide a little bit of context to help the stories make sense. El Paso is in that, western, that little western corner of Texas that is tucked under New Mexico, right on the border with Mexico. The city has a population of 679,000, which is comparable in size to Boston. One big difference is that here in Boston, when you get to the city limits, there's a slew of other towns, Quincy, Dedham, Newton, Cambridge, and so many more. When you get to the edge of El Paso, there's its twin city on the other side of the Rio Grande, Ciudad Juarez in Chihuahua, Mexico, a city of 1.5 million. And there are a string of small towns along the Rio Grande, Cañutillo and Anthony to the north and west as the river flows south out of New Mexico, and Fabens and Clint to the southeast as it continues its 900-mile journey to the Gulf of Mexico. Other than that, though, you have mountainous desert in just about every other direction. In that sense, it's not too different than other cities in the desert southwest like Albuquerque or Tucson. The point here is that El Paso is not a small town, but it's also fairly isolated. Rich described it as a kind of island with its own unique culture. It's very different than other Texas cities, most of which lie hundreds of miles to the east. Exploring that country culture would be an entirely different sermon. But for now, let's get back to my third grade Bible study class. Uh, a few years after my family started attending church was the first time that I experienced what Reverend Sean referred to as the casserole reflex. It, it happened in January of 1977 when one of my sisters had a skiing accident. And yes, they're skiing near El Paso in the mountains of southern New Mexico. My sister Sylvia had gone with a group of friends from the YWCA to Sierra Blanca, which is a ski resort owned and operated by the Mescalero Apache in Rio Doso. My sister would be okay, but her injuries were severe enough to require hospitalization. She had injured her shoulder and, and collarbone. Um, I remember during that week when she was in the hospital, our, do our doorbell rang sometime after school. It was my Bible study teacher, and she had, a, she had a large red Tupperware container wrapped in a towel. She had brought over American chop suey for my younger brother and me to have for supper. That was a dish my mother never really made for us. But the mixture of elbow macaroni, ground beef, onions, and tomato sauce made for a real tasty meal. And we would have plenty for leftovers the next night. Later that week, another family brought a Pyrex baking dish with a delicious enchilada casserole, again wrapped in a towel to make it easy to carry and to help keep it warm from the winter chill outside. I'm sure those meals delivered to our home made it so much easier for my parents to go visit my sister in the hospital when they were done with their jobs at the end of the workday without having to worry too much about making dinner. As a 10-year-old, it was a very early lesson on showing compassion in community. It was also the first time that I really understood 
oh, this is a community that cares about us. This church is more than just the Bible study classes and Sunday morning worship. We're actually a part of a community. We can rely on each other. We belonged, and I felt connected in a way that I hadn't before. I spoke to my sister recently about her memories of that time, and she shared with me that one of the women who attended church had a son who was a classmate of hers. And she visited my sister in the hospital, distracting her with stories about other students. All these years later, she was appreciative of the kindness that motivated those visits to the hospital. It was a simple act, but one that made a big difference to my sister. In the years that followed, there would be opportunities where my family was able to repay the favor to other families in need. And by that time, I did understand that this was our community. Like some of the best lessons learned in spiritual community, these are ones that served me throughout my life in many ways, many times. When Reverend Sean named this as the casserole reflex, that recognition resonated deeply. He gave name to the instinct to help and also pointed out the need to belong and beautifully explained how church can be the place to do both. In a paper issued earlier this year titled, A Call to Connection, Casper Turkheil and his co-authors point out that while we are wired to be in relationship, tending to our connections takes practice. The mindset demands a commitment to mutuality and cooperation. Prioritizing connection, even amidst stress or when evidence of humanity's goodness is hard to find. He is one of the founders of the Sacred Design Lab, along with Angie Thurston and Sue Phillips. He explains, their motivation, he explains the motivations they had in forming the lab. Nothing makes me happier than learning from religious traditions to inspire new ways for us to live lives of greater connection, meaning, and depth. In the midst of enormous changes in how we experience community and spirituality, I bring people together to create projects that enable the everyday and help build a world of joyful belonging. They are taking ancient wisdoms and applying them to today's world, largely aiming outside of churches and traditional spiritual communities. Their intended audience are community leaders across a broad spectrum of organizations, businesses, nonprofits, and society's other institutions. But their paper has good reminders for those of us here in church. They lived up several practices to cultivate a culture of connection. The first is telling and listening to stories. Here at Arlington Street, this practice might be single-handedly responsible for the incredible strength this community has shown during the past two and a half years. They explain, everyone wants to be heard and understood. When others listen to our story, we feel valued. So whether it's during our online coffee hour or at one of the many Zoom gatherings during the week, we are doing this much more intentionally than we were before the pandemic and it's helping our spiritual community to thrive. Another practice they lift up is cultivating gratitude. They explain, cultivating gratitude is the inner discipline of noticing the good things in our lives and recognizing that we are not solely responsible for generating those good things. This is easy and enjoyable when life is smooth, but it becomes all the more important when we find ourselves stressed or feeling hopeless. In those moments, finding genuine gratitude becomes a lifeline back to connection. 
They have other practices in their paper, but to, for this morning, I'm just going to lift, lift up one last one, uh, which is celebrating as much as possible. As an example of what this could look like, they provide this story from Rosa Velasquez, an immigration justice community organizer in Arkansas, who has had to find ways to keep going in the midst of extremely challenging political and personal circumstances. She says, I celebrate everything. Someone graduates from high school or they get a green card, I celebrate. If they open a business or go to therapy for the first time, I celebrate. Just last week, when someone I've helped apply for DACA came out of their interview and called me to share the good news that their application had been approved, I went to Starbucks and got myself a really awesome reusable cup. Then later, we got together for coffee and we prayed together. I tried to do something for myself and something for the person I'm celebrating. It keeps me going. Just like cultivating gratitude can bring a wellspring of hope, celebrating can be an incredible source of joy. As the authors explain, rituals of celebration pull our attention toward what matters most. When we celebrate, we lift up stories that are important to us, bask in communal joy, and deepen our relationships. So whether it's the rubber ducky ministry of joy, singing happy birthday weekly on Zoom or monthly here in the sanctuary, we shouldn't be afraid to really lean in and find joy together. In these times, it too is in a very important lifeline. My spiritual companions, may we muster the courage to keep showing up to this unfolding story. Let's bring our joy, passion, and conviction and our need for healing and the power to heal. We can find love over and over again in these broken people and hopeless places by heeding the call to connection. Let's rediscover the transformative power of love. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be. And now for our benediction, I invite you to place your hands over your heart and namaste. I bow to the divine in you. This morning's benediction is a mashup of poet Maya Angelou and lyrics from Dan Hartman, immortalized by Lolita Holloway. You are only free when you realize you belong no place. You belong every place, no place at all. You gotta be strong enough to move on through the night. There's a new day on the other side. You got to have hope in your soul. Just keep on moving. The price is high. The reward is great. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. For your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. Your divine, my divine. Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. 
Where you go, I will go, beloved. Where you go, I will go. For your people are my people. Your people are mine. Your people are my people. Your divine, my divine. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.